0: Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, we're going to be looking in chapter 4. And specifically, as we look in Ephesians chapter 4, we want to look at the theme that, that Paul mentions at the beginning of this chapter of walking worthy. Walking worthy of the calling to which we as believers in Jesus Christ have been called. Now this is this is an important theme that Paul will mention across a number of his different epistles. And I think it's important for us here uh, as a body at Colonial Baptist Church. Because as we have been walking through the book of Romans... And learning all sorts of theology, all sorts of good truth. And really, that has been a stalwart, that has been a staple of this church for years and for decades. Is that this is a church that is centered on the text of scripture. A church that is focused on expositing truth. And being sound and grounding us in theology and in the word of God. To the point that we even have a seminary here on our campus that is, is here for the purpose of training men and grounding them in the truth so that they can go out and teach that truth and live out that truth. But it's important as we think about truth, that truth is not just something that should be in our heads, but truth is something that should be fleshed out in our lives. And Paul, as he works through, uh, many of his books, like Ephesians, there's a, there's a certain structure, and we see this, we'll see this as we walk through the book of Romans, where Paul will lay out a great deal of theology. In the first 11 chapters, he will lay out a theological understanding that he's talking about, and then, in chapters 12 through the end, he gives a practical section. And in Ephesians, this is much the same. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul will give a theological section. And we, we are all familiar with many of these verses that talk about who we are in Christ, who we were before Christ. And so we have this theological section, and this tells us what followers of Christ must know and believe But then as we get into the second half of Ephesians, we get to what we would consider a practical section. And this is how followers of Christ must live and how we should live based on what the truth that has already been laid out in the preceding chapters. And so we will see this in many of the epistles that Paul writes. And so... As we look here in Ephesians, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul is going to give an exhortation to the believers that kind of sets the capstone for the rest of what he's going to say. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 when he says that we are to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So this calling that Paul has already laid out in the first three chapters, he says, we are to live in a manner worthy of this calling. And as we mentioned, this echoes so many of Paul's prayers and exhortations to the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, the Roman believers, as well, in the, as well as the instructions that he will write to Timothy and to Titus. And you can see so many different parallels In Ephesians, with other books, other epistles that Paul will write. And in this practical section, he calls, first of all, the believers to unity in the body of Christ. That's verses 1 through 6. And, of course, we're not going to have the time to unpack all of these verses. But so that we don't just jump into a passage without understanding the context. We're we're looking here just briefly at the structure of Ephesians. There's a call to unity in the first six verses. Then from verses 7 to 16, Paul talks about the gifts of grace that have been given to strengthen and unify the body of Christ. And then, in a broad sense from chapter 4 and verse 17, all the way through the end of the book, Right up until his conclusion, Paul begins to lay out the expectations for unified living in the body of Christ. How do we, as believers, united in Christ, how should we be living? And so this is the passage that we want to look at this morning, starting in verse 17. And don't worry, we're not going to go all the way through. 4, 5, and 6, but we want to look specifically this morning at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read together verses 17 down through verse 24, and we're going to really focus our attention on this passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, let's read together verse 17 down to verse 24. Paul says this, now I say, So this morning, as we look into this passage in the in the few minutes that we have together, I want us to see two ways that Paul is going to set up uh, this section. As he goes uh as he starts developing his thoughts in verse 17, he goes back to this idea of walking in a manner that is worthy of our calling. And he's going to set a contrast. He's going to set a contrast between how the godless live, those he refers to as the Gentiles, those who are living without thought and concern for God. And he's going to set that in opposition to how the godly live, how those whose life and whose mind is centered and focused on God. And he's going to call the believers to walk in a way that is worthy. He's going to say, okay, this is how the ungodly, the godless are living. Don't live like that. Instead, live in this way. And so we're going to look this morning to see what are the characteristics of these godless people after Paul sets this contrast. And what is interesting is this is not just uniquely Pauline because Peter will pick up these themes as well. These themes of not living like the Gentiles live. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, he says to the believers, he says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans or Gentiles choose to do. One translation puts it this way, the time that is past is sufficient for doing what the Gentiles do. And now, as we look forward, he says, there needs to be something different. So what characterizes, according to these verses, the way that godless people think and live? Let's look and dig into verses 18 and 19, and we'll see how Paul describes those who are living in a godless way and, and what that life looks like in their thoughts and in their actions. First of all, in verse 18, the first part of verse 18, he says this, their understanding is darkened. This, again, is a direct parallel with what Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. When he begins, starting in verse 18, to talk about the wrath of God is revealed against all those who are living in unrighteousness. And he says in Romans 1 and verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened and you can see the direct allusion here because in verse at the end of verse 17 Paul says that the gentiles are walking in the futility of their minds and they are darkened in their understanding now we'll return to look again at Romans chapter 1 in just a minute, but this idea is that the understanding is being darkened. It's not enlightened. It's not clarified by the light of truth. But also Paul will say in the second part of verse 18 that they are alienated from the life of God or they are estranged from the life of God. The idea of being alienated or separated, estranged, Think of a relationship. There can be physical separation. If someone, a partner in the relationship goes on a work trip, there is a physical separation, but that does not necessarily mean that there is a strain in the relationship. But this idea, this word is strange, speaks of something that there's not there, even if the physical separation is not there in the relationship, there is something that's not going right. And this is the word that Paul uses that's translated as. In our Bibles, in the ESV here, is alienated. The idea of being estranged from the life of God. There's, there's something that's not right. There's something in the relationship that isn't working, that isn't following. And this is where Paul says this again in Colossians chapter 1. He says this to Colossians. He says, you once were alienated or estranged from God, hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds. This is how the unbelievers are living. Their understanding is darkened and they are estranged from God, from the life that is in Him. Why? Why would Paul say that this is, this is taking place? Well, he goes on and, and he'll give the explanation of that in the following verse. He says, they are estranged from the life of God, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. And so we see this, and and if you have a bulletin, you should have mentioned this from the beginning, but you have a handout there. And what I would say here is one of the reasons that Paul gives that someone is estranged from the life of God is because of their willful ignorance. Now, you may ask, why do you say willful ignorance? The word willful isn't here in the text. But again, this is where we jump back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. What did Paul say about this ignorance? He said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, he said, They knew God, but they didn't honor him or glorify him as God, and they refused to give him thanks. And therefore, as a result, their foolish heart was darkened. One of the commentators that I, that I read when I got to this passage, he said something very interesting, and I've put it up on the screen uh, behind me so you can see this. He says this, Paul's view of knowledge and ignorance is largely determined by the Old Testament. To know God means to be in a close personal relationship with him. Knowledge then has to do with an obedient and grateful response of the whole person, not simply an intellectual assent. Then he goes on to talk about ignorance. He says, likewise, ignorance is a failure to be grateful and obedient. It describes someone's total stance, and this includes emotions, will, and action, not just one's mental response. Not to know the Lord is to ignore him. To say no to his demands. Such ignorance is culpable. It is not an excuse So when Paul says here that these ungodly people are alienated, are separated from God because of their ignorance, it's a willful ignorance. And in that word ignorance, you have the idea of ignore. When someone ignores you, it's not that they don't hear you. You may be speaking to them, and if they choose to ignore you, it's not that they don't, don't recognize your existence. It's not that they don't hear your voice, but they may be making a conscious choice to say, I'm more interested in something else, what I'm reading, what I'm looking at, what I'm listening to, than what you're saying. And this is how Paul characterizes and describes those who are, God, who are living in a godless way. It's not necessarily that they are ignorant in the sense that they don't know God, but as he mentioned in Romans 1, chapter 21, they knew him, but they refused to honor him. And why is this? Again, the next phrase will give us a key. He said there, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So why are ungodly people, unbelievers, estranged from the life of God? It's because of willful ignorance and stubbornness of Their hearts. This is the word that is translated here as hardness. Has the idea, carries the idea of of stubbornness, of a closed mind. A closed mind, unwilling to learn, unwilling to, to change, to receive instruction or knowledge that would produce a transformation. And then Paul goes on to say, That not only are these people, do they have understanding that is darkened, and are they alienated or estranged from the life of God, but he says in verse 19 that they have given themselves over to their sinful desires. Let's look at what he says, verse 19. He says, they have become calloused, or maybe it could even better be translated, having become calloused. So in other words, as these people are willfully ignorant of God and have closed off their minds to God. They're they unable to hear what God has to say to them. They therefore have become calloused. They have lost feeling. If you've ever done a lot of work outside in the garden with shovels and rakes and, and pickaxes and those kind of things, you'll know that very quickly after the blisters disappear... The calluses form. And as those calluses form, what happens? You lose feeling in that area. You lose the sensitivity because the skin gets so hardened and so rough from where that there's a loss of feeling, a loss of sensitivity. And this is how Paul is using, he, he's painting these pictures to describe the person who is not living in a godly way. He says they have become callous through this hardening of their hearts. They've become callous. There's no sensitivity. And therefore, he says, they have given themselves up or given themselves over to sensuality. They've thrown off the restraint that comes from the word of God. And they they have given themselves over, he says, to their sinful desires, to the sensuality the senses. They follow their own desires to the point, as he says at the end of verse 19, that they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. When someone refuses God and lives in a way that is given over to their own sinful passions, their own sinful desires, they become, as Paul says, greedy. They have an develop an insatiable appetite for sin. And so Paul paints this this picture, this, this descending picture. You can almost see it in a in a descending staircase type of a of a manner that their understanding is darkened, they're estranged from God because they're hardening their hearts, they're closing their minds, they become callous, they're giving themselves over to sensuality, and you can see where the end is going to lead. This is the picture that Paul paints of a godless person. But what is interesting, because as we look at this and as we think of this, we wouldn't put ourselves in that category naturally, would we? We would look at that and we would say, we read Paul's description in verses 18 and 19, and we would say, well, that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not like that. But remember what Paul wrote, and what, what we read this morning to the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, and specifically in verse 3, where Paul said, encourage the believers not to think of themselves more highly then they ought to think because within every one of us who still have the sin nature in us are seeds of this kind of living and this kind of behavior. And if we are not actively working and living to root out those seeds and to replace them with the truth of Christ, any of us can find ourselves descending. Any of us can find ourselves losing sensitivity to the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. It can become easy to justify sin. It can become easy to say, well, it's only a little bit, or it's not as bad as. And we can justify it. And although we may come and worship together on Sunday morning in our hearts, we can be closing our minds and hardening our hearts to the life that is in God. And this is why Paul gives the exhortation, not just to the unbelievers, but to the believers here in Ephesus. When he says, you must no longer walk, you must no longer live in this way. And as he describes it, he says in verse 20, that is not the way that you learned Christ. Let's read verses 20 and 21 again. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that, or if, since you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ Jesus. Paul says this is not the kind of living that should characterize believers why because we have learned Christ we have learned something different and the idea that he says here that is translated as assuming that it's a it's an if it's a condition but really a condition that has already been assured that has already taken place it's like when Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3 and he said, since you have been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. And so in this same sense, Paul is not hes not even necessarily indicating a question as to whether or not these believers have heard or have learned about Christ, but he's saying, since you have heard about him and you were taught in him, I think it's interesting the way he, he puts those two ideas together. He says, first of all, you have heard about him. This I think of as, as the initial, the, the Ephesians initial understanding of Christ. This was probably at their point of salvation when they first heard about Christ. But it didn't stop there because he says, and you were taught in him. This is the ongoing aspect, the discipleship, the teaching, the training. And Paul says, this kind of life that the godless, the Gentiles live is totally opposite to what you have heard and what you have been taught about Christ from the very beginning all the way up until now. So, how then does Paul characterize what godly, how godly people think and live. This is what we see in verses 22 to 24. First thing that Paul mentions is that godly people lay aside the old nature. Look at verse 22. He says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires. As Paul lays this out to the Corinthians, his speech here in his writing is full of imagery. He says, putting off the old self. It's the idea of taking dirty clothing that that is filthy and, and corrupted and defiled and taking that off We have to recognize the corruption in it. And this is what he he says. He says, why? Why would we why would we take this off? First of all, he says, it belongs to the old way of life. It belongs to your former manner of life. It's not fitting for someone who proclaims Christ. It's not fitting anymore. So I'm going to take it off and I'm going to lay it aside. And look at what else he says about it. It belongs to your former way of life. But also it is corrupted or being corrupted through deceitful desires. This idea of corruption speaks of moral decay, moral filth. Paul says someone who is in Christ, who has been awakened to Christ, who has heard and learned about Christ, understands that the old way of life brings about a moral decay. And just as if we looked at clothing that we were wearing that was literally so filthy that it was rotting and and decomposing on us and tearing apart... We wouldn't take it off only to go back and put it on later. We wouldn't take it off and preserve it and say, yeah, maybe tomorrow I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to put that back on. No, because we recognize it's filthy, it's putrid, it's stink. We're going to take that off and we're going to cast it away. And that's what Paul is calling The believers to do. That's the first thing that he says that God, the way that godly people think and act in relation to the old nature is they take it off and they cast it aside. But secondly, in addition to laying aside the old nature, Paul says they let the spirit transform their minds. Let's read verse 23. After having put off the old self, he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now this is another one of those, to borrow Pastor Brent's phrase, this is another one of those divine passives. Whereas the first one was very much an active verb. You are to put off, you are to lay aside the old nature. This, in verse 23, is something that only God can and must do. To renew the spirit of our minds. Look at what Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul does not tell the believers to transform themselves, to transform their own mind, but to be, if I can say it this way, actively passive, active in the sense of I am allowing the Spirit to transform me. I am working along with the Spirit for my mind to be renewed. And in Romans chapter 12 this is the the passage that Pastor Brent read to us earlier today this is exactly what Paul is saying to the Romans do not be conformed to this world again it's it's passive here as well don't be conformed don't be pressed into the mold of the world i remember when we were overseas in cameroon it was there was the area that we were in, the city that we were in, was in some ways kind of like Virginia Beach. There was constant construction going on. Everywhere you go, something's getting built. But most of the time, the, the concrete blocks that were used for construction were not just brought in. We would watch people build them and make them. They would mix the mortar and, and, and the water and they would get the consistency right. And then they had, they had a form that they would shovel the concrete in and they would pack it down and then they would take it and they would flip it over and out would come, if it was done right, the perfectly formed brick. And then they would flip it back over and they would do it again. Over and over and over. And this is the idea that Paul is saying here when he says, do not be conformed to this world. The world has a form that it expects us to be. It has a mold. And if we are letting the world, this, this age, the spirit of this age, it will shape us into a particular mold. If you spend much time watching television... Or listening to the news or on social media, you will hear the messages that are pressing on us and shaping on us and trying to get us in our minds to conform to a particular ideology. And Paul says, don't let yourself be pressed into that mold. Don't let yourself take the shape that the world wants to mold you into. But instead, You must be transformed. It's the word metamorphosis. The the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's the kind of radical transformation that we're talking about. But again, this is, as we called it earlier, an active-passive. It's something that must be done to us. The Spirit must do that in our minds and in our hearts. But we must be active in allowing it. Because in all of these passages, in Ephesians, in 2 Corinthians, and in Romans, there's a, an exhortation, a command, if you will, to be transformed, to allow the Spirit to transform us. And as we look in this verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that or then you will be able to understand what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is only when our minds have been renewed and transformed that we can truly understand what God's will is. And if we do not let God's word through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, transform our minds, give us a complete change of mindset from what we used to be and how we used to think to one that aligns with the Scripture, we're not going to get to the point where we can understand what the will of God is. It takes this transformation. And so whereas Paul will say, That we are to put off the old nature and put on the new nature. But in the middle is this key idea that our minds have to be transformed. Because without this idea, putting off the old and putting on the new simply becomes human effort. It's just something I do. Because I have to or because I'm supposed to. But when the Spirit renews our mind, this is now a divine work. And I don't put off the old and put on the new because I have to. It's because my mind and my heart have been transformed and renewed. And God gives me a genuine desire for that. So I think it's important for us, we ask ourselves the question, what are we allowing to shape our thoughts What influences are we allowing? What are we feeding into our minds that are shaping our thoughts? That are shaping how we see the world around us and how we think about life? Not only does Paul exhort us to lay aside the old nature and to let the Spirit transform our minds, but thirdly, Paul says, embrace the new nature. Look at verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and true holiness. Paul says to put this on. And again, as we mentioned, this isn't a grudging put on. Now that I'm a Christian, I got to do this. Now that I'm a member of the church, I, I have I can't do that. I've got, no. This is a As the mind is transformed, we embrace the new nature. We love what God loves because we love God. We love who God loves because we love him. Once again, Peter O'Brien says this, The new self is God's mighty work, not ours. Yet the fact that this new identity is put on shows that his creation is gladly appropriated by the believer. Divine activity and human response are carefully balanced. And then he references Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul encourages the Philippians to work out their own salvation Or to flesh out, if you will, their own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is what we are exhorted and called to do as believers. To embrace this new nature that Paul describes as being created after or in the likeness of God. Just as man in the garden was created in God's image, and then that image was tainted by sin, now we are called to embrace the new nature as our minds are being transformed. We embrace that new nature, which is like God, so that we ourselves become God-like or godly. And this is true righteousness, true holiness, as the Scripture says. First, So this is how Paul begins this section as he exhorts the believers to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And the rest of this chapter, all the way through chapter 5 and almost through the very end of chapter 6, Paul will then flesh out what it looks like. And we're not going to have time this morning to delve into each and every one of these. But this is some of the things that Paul says. He says, we need to put off falsehood or lying and speak truth. We need to put off sinful anger and put on an anger that is controlled by the Spirit. We need to put off stealing and instead put on being willing to work in order to give. We need to put off, put away unwholesome speech and instead embrace edifying speech, only what is good for building up. We need to put away bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, and instead we embrace, we take on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. We put away sexual immorality, greed, obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, and instead we embrace thanksgiving. We put away, Paul says, drunkenness that leads to debauchery, and instead we choose to be controlled by the Spirit and not by a substance. And that produces singing to the Lord and giving thanks and submitting to one another in love. Those are the ways that Paul fleshes that out. And I encourage you this week to read through the end of Ephesians in light of what we've seen this morning, in light of what we've seen in verses 17 to 24. Read through that to see how Paul tells us we can flesh these things out. But this morning... As we close, I want us to ask ourselves the question, are we living like the godless or the godly? I'm not asking, do we believe in God? I'm asking, are we living like we believe in God? Are we living like we've embraced this new life? That comes from Christ. In our homes, in our relationships, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, are we living like the godless or are we living like the godly that Paul describes here? And again, we might think well, this is church. Of course, we're all living like the godly. But look at what Paul said to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes this. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say they qualify themselves or they they would say, yes, I'm an enemy of the cross of Christ. But he says they walk As if they were enemies of the cross of Christ. Their walk is not a walk that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so I think this is a a, a solemn challenge for us as the body of Colonial Baptist Church. Are we walking a walk that is worthy of Christ or are we walking as though we were enemies of the cross of Christ? Paul, as he writes this to the Ephesians, encourages them and challenges them in this walk. But some 30 years later, another apostle would write. And in his writing would be a message to this very same church. The apostle John, in Revelation, received a message to the seven churches and wrote messages to the seven churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, the first church that was mentioned was the church in Ephesus. And look at the message that the Lord addressed to this church, Revelation chapter 2. He says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstand. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. As God looks at this church, he says, I see your work. Your toil, you're enduring. You're rooting out false doctrine and false teaching, and even those who would claim to be apostles, and you're, you're measuring it against Scripture to discern what is right. And you're patiently enduring. But then look at what he says in verse 4 But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 30 years after Paul wrote this exhortation to the Ephesians, the Lord sends another message. And he again, encourages the Ephesians to walk in a way, to remember the love that they had at first, to repent and to do the first works. May we as a body this morning, as Colonial Baptist Church, consider this question. Are we living, are we walking a walk that is worthy of Christ? Or are we walking as enemies of the cross of Christ? And as we look into our hearts in the light of the Word of God, and as we see things that are not worthy, as we see things in our lives that are ways that we are not walking worthy of the Lord, may we follow the exhortation that the Lord gave to the church of Ephesus in Revelation. Remember where we have fallen, repent and do the first works. Might we, as a body, Colonial Baptist Church, walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord? That those around us might see, might recognize that there is a difference. Not because we are somehow more pious or more spiritual or Simply weird, but that we have had minds that have been transformed by the Spirit of God through His Word, so that we have cast off the works of the old nature and we have embraced a new nature that is like God. May we as a body live in this way for the glory of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, We have been called to live in a way that honors you, that reflects your character. But, Father, we still recognize in our own hearts where the world still has its sway in our minds. where we allow ourselves to be influenced by the spirit of this age rather than having our minds transformed by your Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for us as a body here at Colonial, that you, Father, would help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. I pray, Father, that you would do the work that only you can do to change our minds, to transform us and give us completely new minds that think the way that you think. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to work alongside your Spirit, to be actively passive and allowing you to shape us, rejecting the way that the world wishes to shape us, and letting you do your work for your glory. And Father, as we do this, we trust that you will continue to conform us to the image of Christ. So may you do that in us and in our body, Father, for your glory and the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.